A group of college friends are headed to a cabin in the woods for a week-long trip, because that's always a good idea. When they're attacked by a hobo with a bizarre skin condition, they soon find themselves infected with a bloody flesh-eating virus that is taking them out one by one. They grow paranoid and distrustful of each other, and the locals want them dead anyway, in Eli Roth's 2002 directorial debut, Cabin Fever. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Caleb J. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, listeners. Welcome to the 134th episode of the Filmgasm podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Caleb Leger, to discuss another random pick from the elusive book of Filmgasm, Cabin Fever. Been a minute since I watched this one, and I forgot how terrible it is. But we'll get to that. <laughs> Caleb, I know you're a big Eli Roth fan. So how psyched were you when you drew it from the book? I was super excited because I love this movie. I love Eli Roth's first three movies quite a lot, quite a bit, honestly. Uh, so I love it. I still love it. One of my favorite of his. It's it makes no sense at all. Like there's so many just random shit that happens that has nothing to do with anything else. Are you referencing the pancake scene? Is that more than is that, that. What's happening here? More than the pancake scene. Like there's so much like the racist shopkeeper and all that shit. Like there's no there's oh. so much unnecessary shit in this movie. The twist was he wasn't racist. That's not the point. Like why is that even there? <laughs> it was funny. It, <sighs> I will get all right. <laughs> Backtrack, save it. Okay. <laughs> uh, and to be fair, we did draw the 2016 remake from the book, but I was generous. <laughs> mm. I've heard that's got all pains the day I have to sit through that movie. A shot for shot remake. Have you seen all of them? Not, not besides from the remake? Uh, I've so I've only actually saw the second movie. Um, but I did not like it at all. Um, there's actually a lot of production issues with that movie. Um, I know the director, Ty West, had his name removed or attempted to get his name removed. He hated it so much. Jesus. Yeah, the studio apparently meddled a lot. And um, so after my experience, with that, I was like, I remember, the, I remember seeing the announcement for Cabin Fever Patient Zero. And it was like, oh, it's a prequel. And I was like, well, these have historically not been good in horror, so... I didn't really like second one, so I was like, I didn't bother. And then when I heard about the remake, they were like, Yeah, it's gonna be a shot shot remake. I think it came out two that you said 2016. Yeah. So I'm even 20 years old. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like, know why that anybody thought that was a good idea. I, yeah, I was like, all right, I'm not so I haven't seen past two. Okay. Yeah. I certainly haven't. Um <laughs> Cabin Fever was directed and co-written by Eli Roth, who'd go on to direct such films as Hostile. Hostel 2, The Green Inferno, Knock Knock, Death Wish, and The House with a Clock in Its Walls. He's currently filming the Borderlands movie. So let's take it one at a time. Uh, Cabin Fever, we're obviously going to save. Hostel, uh, probably the one he's most known for, I think, I'd say, at this point. Yeah, um, you know, like this one put him on the map, right? Cabin Fever put him on the map, but Hostel is probably, I, I think, for a lot of his signature movie. I like Hostel a lot. Um, I my personal favorite. I know in this, it's evident in this movie too. People complain about some of his dialogue choice now in his movies, but I like I like to remind people times were different. Stop demonizing a movie for its dialogue that was okay at the time it came out. Like 
no one knew that it was going to be how it is now. Um, and if you actually like know like college frat boys, they they talk like that. That's how they talk. Yeah, but that's also like doesn't mean we should still like these people. Like they're still no, I'm not. I'm not saying you should like these people, and that's not even his intent. You're actually not meant to like the main characters. He yeah. purposely wrote them to be as obnoxious as possible, which is another reason why I'm like stop coming out. I don't get the dialogue complaint in that case because he wrote them to be obnoxious. I feel like he's written a lot of his characters to be obnoxious. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the first two hostile movies, I have I have seen those. I think they're okay. Uh, as fun as it is to watch rich businessmen just torture dumb college kids. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever willingly go back. I'm pretty sure the podcast will take me there, but I've had no interest in going back to Hostel. I have willingly gone back so many times. <laughs> uh, the Green Inferno. <laughs> Holy shit. One of the most uncomfortable uh, movie theater experiences of my life. You mean Just when I was eating popcorn and you were... Cowering? Yes. Yes. Well, I remember you were so excited for this movie and then it got like postponed by two years. Yeah. And then like it was finally playing at one of the local theaters and you were like, we got to see it. And we went and saw it. I didn't really know what to expect. And I had not, you know, I wasn't as well versed in horror as I am now. Back then I was still, I could still be surprised. And holy shit, was I surprised. This is one, maybe the grisliest movie I've ever watched. <laughs> it's just so unforgivable like it's it's brutal and just god it's what i like about roth he comes from that time in like the early 2000s with like him and rob zombie and um darren lynn bowsman more so than james Wan with the saw franchise um when you were getting i mean in your face gory intense scary movies that were getting mainstream releases, not straight to video or straight to streaming service now. They were coming out of theaters and they were making money. Like, the fact the Saw franchise lasted for as long as it has because it was making money at the box office. So it's like, it, it's like they came out at this right time when people, for some reason, including myself, wanted in-your-face gore and just the gnarliest shit you can imagine. Yeah. I get that, but do we need? Like, I I just don't understand why that's entertaining to a, like to an extent. Like I like gore, but that movie is so it's too real. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just like the you know the fact that he used actual like uh, native tribes people, or the, I don't know. Just watching this fat dude get like his face eaten like a piece at a time, and then just carved the fuck up. Oh yeah, that the scene and the the infamous scene that we mentioned earlier where I was eating the popcorn. I would never forget that when I'm just sitting there eating it. And I remember thinking at one point you looked at me like, "Are you serious?" Yeah, I was like, "Who are you?" <laughs> I had this thought of like, "You're gonna, you're fucking crazy." <laughs> but I get it now. Yeah, I I just got desensitized a little bit earlier that I was watching all that stuff. That movie went a long way towards desensitizing me now. Yeah, you know what's funny? I actually find that to be a movie where I think he peaked early. I I think after that scene, 
nothing else in the movie is as intense as that. Well, thankfully, you know, because he doesn't go through with uh, the one, the main girl getting her clitoris torn off. No, but thank you, God. You don't sit there and give me that kind of scene halfway through the movie and never top it. How how could he possibly have topped that? I mean, I don't you know. literally watch a guy get ripped to pieces like slowly. What more? Like where else could he could could he have gone? I don't know, but I don't want him to see it. Ugh, God, they follow that up with uh, kind of a slow thriller, knock knock, uh, with Keanu Reeves. Uh, we saw that also. Mm-hmm. Uh, could not believe that was Eli Roth. It's just it's so much different from everything he'd done up to that point. I I actually really like this. I actually find this to be one of his most underrated movies he's done. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people don't really talk about it there because it's not what he's usually given us. It's kind of like when um. Um, again, uh, and I, I'll probably mention Rob Zombie in this with Eli Ross because they were kind of my two biggest influences growing up when it came to like the films I like. Um, when he did Lord to Salem and it just kind of flew on the radar and no one really talked about it. And it was completely different from what he was giving us. Um, I think that and in the case of Eli Roth with Knock Knock, very underrated films because I think both are actually really good movies and show a, a side of a filmmaker you don't see very often. Mm-hmm but no one turned out to see it because it wasn't that in-your-face glory. It wasn't a new hostel. It wasn't Cabin Fever. It wasn't the Green Inferno. I'm not a big fan of the Lords of Salem. I find it kind of slow, but I, I, I get that with Knock Knock. Knock Knock is a very intriguing film that doesn't go where you think it's going to go. It also introduced me to Ana de Armas, who I think is insanely hot. <sighs> yeah, she is. And then seeing Keanu kind of be, you know, the betraying family man was interesting. And yeah. his whole like free pizza speech at the end always makes me laugh. It, it makes me laugh because it came out after John Wick. And it's like, was there a contract, like somewhere in his contract where he had to make epic speeches in a chair tied up? Like, was that a thing? <laughs> I didn't even make that connection. That's great. Yeah, I was like, does Keanu only give us these moments when he's tied to a chair? <laughs> It was free fucking pizza. Like that's a terrible argument for cheating on your wife. <laughs> you know what I like about that movie is that at first you're like he he legitimately tries. He's like, no, get out of my house. And then he like he gives in. But then he he see him have you ready. You kind of be like, you know what? He made a mistake. And they are kind of being kind of creepy now because they came back and they're doing all their shit. And then you get to that free pizza scene. You're like, okay, maybe he's not the best guy because he's trying to justify it. In using free pizza as an analogy, just the whole like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't have cheated on my wife with these two hot women who just popped up on my doorstep in the middle of the night. Like, yeah, you shouldn't have. That's not a life lesson. That's common sense. Look, Kanye Reeves, we love you, but even you cannot take your chances like that. <laughs> that such an odd film. Uh, then he did the then he did the Death Wish remake with Bruce Willis, uh, which I have I haven't seen the original or the remake. I uh, just haven't got around to it, and I'm very hesitant to watch Bruce Willis films these days. Yeah, I I watched it and I've watched pretty much I've watched everything Eli Roth has done, um, though, and so far what I can cons- what I kind of consider now his kind of move into bigger budgeted, um, like mainstream. 
type stuff with Death Wish and House of Clockness Walls and obviously this upcoming Borderlands movie. I find them right for me to be merely okay. Um I'm not I don't think they've been bad. I think they've just been like fine movies. Um Bruce Willis actually does pretty good in the movie. You can tell like it's one of the few times he's actually trying finally. <laughs> and there's a lot of cool moments in Death Wish. Um, but it wasn't like I didn't love it. Um yeah, it was it was fine. That was fine. And then his most recent film, The House with a Clock in Its Walls, which I've seen bits and pieces of because it was one of the films I worked when I uh, worked at the Alamo Draft House. Looked intriguing, looked a little goosebumpsy, uh, and an odd choice for Eli Roth to tackle a kid movie. So, and I, this is actually perfect because he was re- last week on the premiere of The Last Drive and as a special guest. Cool. Uh, with Joe Bob Briggs. And, um, because again, that wasn't like Death Wish. I think the movie was fine. Um, he made the kind. He actually really wanted to do that movie because he and like we've actually talked about before on this podcast and amongst ourselves. He really wanted to make a gateway horror film. Okay. He wanted to kind of say, you know what? Let me make something for the kids that um, everyone can enjoy. Because he's like us. He thinks it's very important to have gateway horror films like that a kid can go see. Because he's like, obviously, parents aren't going to take a kid to go see Hostel. That's too intense. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, they can, you know, they see my name and they, you know, they liked my prior movies and then they can take their kids to go see this because, hey, it's a PG horror movie. Like, it's fine for kids. So I I see why he did it. I get his reasoning and I'm very much agreeing. So, yes, I think gateway horror films are insanely important to the genre to help kids get into it. So, like I said, I get why I did it. Personally, I thought it was fine. Those gateway horror films, I like a little bit better, but I liked it. I'd like to check it out. You know, after I finally, you know, tackled Twin Peaks, I gained a whole new uh, kind of uh, admiration for Kyle MacLachlan. So I'd, I'd like to check out more of his work. So, yeah, I think I'll, I'll watch that eventually. It's in the book. <laughs> it's good. Uh, there, the most horrifying moment is like the part where Jack Black's a baby, but still has his adult head. It's kind of horrifying. <laughs> weird. Um, did you ever play Borderlands? Uh, so for any of our listeners who like Borderlands, please don't kill me. I've already made my scandalous Justice League review. <laughs> um, I haven't played them up to three. So I have played a little bit of the first one with friends and I enjoyed it. And recent on deployment, um, you can bring your when you go on these deployments, um, you can bring your gaming consoles. That's allowed. So I brought my PlayStation. I had picked up Borderlands 3 for it. And I have the collection for my Switch. And I actually, because of how the Switch does it, I wasn't really I could only play one but not the other ones. So I just jumped ahead to three and I loved it. Borderlands 3, it's a fun, really fun game. It's all about just getting guns and shooting, having a great time. It was a lot. I enjoyed the hell of it. It's a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to what he has to do with the upcoming movie. There's definitely a lot of potential like material he can mine from it to make something. I never played Borderlands, so I don't really have a dog in the race. But we're in kind of a – I feel like we're in a video game movie renaissance right now, so I think this will be interesting. Yeah, which, you know, tune in. For more on that <laughs> oh yeah get over there and check out our sneak preview <laughs> this this coming monday 
more on that towards the end. Um, let's talk about the cast of this film. Uh, Ryder Strong plays Paul, the level-headed one, at least at first. Strong was known for playing Sean Hunter on Boy Meets World, a role he would reprise in the sequel series Girl Meets World, and he would also reprise the role of Paul in Cabin Fever 2. Uh, I know you were a big Boy Meets World fan. Yeah, I, I was. I'm a massive. I, have, I will still watch episodes of them on TV. I love, love Boy Meets World. Topanga, top five crushes from my childhood. <laughs> Topanga. Um, he was awesome. One of my favorite characters in that show. I can fully be man enough to admit that I watched Score Meets Ward 100 can admit it. And I remember when he, he, it was like iffy if he was going to be on the show. He didn't seem too interested in coming back. But then they made the big announcement hey, he, he's coming back. We got Sean back. And yeah, he, he came back for an, when the episode he came back on, you know, it was awesome. He just fell back into the role. Um, him and, uh, Guy who plays Corey, I can't remember off the top of my head right now. Um, their chemistry was still there. Nothing changed all these years later. It was great. And it was actually one of the reasons I watched Cabin Fever was because I recognized him from Boy Meets World. Yeah, I think he was the biggest star they could get, which is funny to me. I never watched Boy Meets World. I have no clue what that show is or what it's about. God, I love that show. Feeny. Feeny. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. Any film guys and fans, please help me out later. <laughs> uh, Jordan Ladd plays Karen, Paul's longtime crush. Ladd has also appeared in such films as Club Dread, Inland Empire, Satanic Panic, Hostel Part 2, and Death Proof. So she's got, I think, the most impressive resume out of this whole cast. Yeah, she had the, the best post-career. It's kind of weird. Ryder Strong had the best pre-career. But she had the best post-career out of all of them. Yeah, I don't remember. Well, I've, I've seen Hostel 2 and Death Proof, and I don't remember her from either one of them. Oh, uh, yeah, me neither. I, know, I think Hostel 2, she was one of the main chicks. I haven't seen Hostel 2 in, like, seven years. Almost paused. No, was she the main chick? Or the, I have to be, I'll look it up later. Is anyone the main jokes of the, at the beginning at the prologue of the movie? Okay. Nope. <laughs> Almost pause of the prologue of the movie. Uh, in this film, I mean, she's she's okay. I think pretty generic. Uh, they're all kind of stereotypes, you know, generic horror movie characters that you don't really like that much and have no problem seeing killed in horrific ways. Tell me, Bert didn't make you laugh. Oh, here we go. James DeBello, Bert, the douche. DeBello has also appeared in such films as Detroit Rock City, Scary Movie 2, and American Pie. And I would just like to point out that he looks like a half-finished clone of Jeffrey Dean Morgan that escaped the lab and went to Florida State. So <laughs> this dude's you know, ridiculous. You know what's funny? I didn't even know he was in Scary Movie 2 until I actually watched that the other day on duty. <laughs> and I was watching, I was like, oh, my God. I didn't know he was in Scary Movie 2. <laughs> Refresh me. Who, who would he play? Because I've, I've seen that one quite a bit. Do you remember the scene when he's like, hey, what's my tattoo say? Ray, what's my say? Fucked me. Yeah. yeah. Hey, that's him. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those first three scary movies are funny as hell. I don't care what anyone says. Uh, look, when the Waynes were attached with the first two 
funny as hell. Third one, the the first post Wayne's one, still funny. After that, uh. Scary Movie 3 has one of my favorite movie quotes, and I'm going to be a little non-PC here, so bear with me. Uh, it's after all the rappers show up and, like, kill each other. And, Pre- and President Leslie Nielsen just goes, these men died for their country. Send flowers to their bitches and hoes. <laughs> I've always loved hearing that come out of Leslie Nielsen's dry comedy mouth. Guys, that guy was one of the funniest motherfuckers who will ever walk the planet. One of my favorites when he's like, we're not so different after all. And he starts digging out his hands. I love when he go when he's talking to his advisors and he goes like, we could be on the edge of a national crisis. Get me the president. And Ja Rule's like, you are the president. He's like, oh, good. Then I already know about this. <laughs> Just little shit like that. I've always loved this. I like, the, I like the airplane callback when he opens the door. <laughs> I just want to tell you all good luck. We're all counting on you. <laughs> that was great. And I was like, oh, they got the callback. <laughs> yeah that's that's a great movie i love that movie that little bit where anthony anderson cocks the shovel i love stupid goofy slapstick shit it's great yeah and kevin hart who i didn't again i know when i was on i was like holy shit that's kevin hart <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's i i don't care what anyone says that that's you a classic when you go to sleep <laughs> how the hell do you wake up dead <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love this weird Sleep little tip. <laughs> that was great. Uh, so yeah, James DeBello, Bert, who's just a complete dick. I don't know why he's there. Like he's the you know he's a third wheel. Look, you have to have the third wheel slash douchebag in the group. It's just a given. Must you? I mean, I've never you know I've had groups of friends. We've never intentionally had just a dick hanging around. I mean, unless it's me. Technically, you have. <laughs> Dicks hanging around in a group of friends. It's just a given in a group of guy friends. <laughs> but the point being, yeah, I like, like what I did there. Uh, the point being, clearly you haven't been hanging around scary movie friends, and scary movie friends was always a dick. Always. I read somewhere that, like, if you can't tell who the dick is in your group, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> I've read that. So, I don't know, maybe. You know, I consider the filmgasm team a group. So maybe it is me. <laughs> Time to embrace it. Um, Serena Vincent plays Marcy, who I am labeling the whore. Because just she's a terrible person. Right, because she had sex with her boyfriend. And then when Elle was at all hope was gone, she had sex with someone else because hope was gone. And her boyfriend left to hide out in the woods. At the time, I don't clarify that Hope is completely gone. I just think they both... Three of them were dead. They weren't dead yet. They were sick, but they weren't dead yet. They were dying. Paul spent years in love with Karen. She gets sick, and immediately he's he's like, well, I guess I'm going to fuck the other girl we brought. And she's like, well, all right. Everyone's a, Everyone's a piece of shit in this movie. It was desperate times. Okay. People are dying. There's a, there's a virus raging. Another thing. There's a flesh-eating virus nobody knows the nature of. Why are you fucking anybody? <laughs> you're going to catch that shit immediately. Look, you are you sound like a pre-COVID person right now. All right? That is all I was thinking about when I if watched this. Anything, you're I don't know why you don't like this movie. If anything, it's the most timely film we've watched on the podcast right now. 
actually within I think like a month of COVID actually getting crazy, we did 28 days later. So I think that's the most timely we've ever done. But we haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I don't like that. I don't like your use of yet. <laughs> hey, look. Uh, a vaccine that people are debating. We don't know what the hell's going to happen. Isn't that how I Am Legend started? Like, it was a vaccine that, like, fucked everybody up. Bring it on. I don't want to be Will Smith. I don't want to kill my dog. I don't have a dog. It's fine. I'll be the vampire. I'll just come after you. Good luck. <laughs> um, well, she actually... Uh, Serena Vincent played the Yellow Ranger on Power Rangers Lost Galaxy one of the many Power Rangers spinoffs. Uh, she's also appeared in such films as Not Another Teen Movie, Return to House on Haunted Hill, and the film, which has perhaps the best title ever, Sasquatch Mountain. I looked it up. It's shit, but it's a great title. I think she's on a Disney Channel show now. Probably. Uh, you know, I guess when you play a Power Ranger, you know, you get put in the book forever. She actually, she was on uh, the movie Crypt, and she actually made the comment that uh, apparently she had a hard time getting work after this movie, because at the time in Hollywood, oh, you showed your tits, you were in a trash horror movie, why would we ever want to hire you for anything serious? That's unfortunate. Yeah. And I think she said she actually had issues getting the role she did on Disney because of that. She plays like a mom, and it's like, she's like, that was almost 20 years ago. (laughs) I hate that Disney has that clause of like they won't hire anyone who's not family friendly. Like, shut the fuck up. This is this is 2021. This is like 2021. And as I like to now say, anytime people try to make Disney per, he was an anti-Semitic that was affiliated with the Nazi Party. All right. Yeah. Well, Disney's been exploiting children for for like almost a hundred years now. Like, it's time to stop acting like you're you know, you're not throwing the first stone here. I mean, you know, Tim Allen had a, you know, got arrested for coke. He still got to be Santa Claus. <laughs> so what, what's the line here? <laughs> you could also point out that they make like this weird line, but almost every Disney Channel kid star grows up fucked up. Yeah, so it's probably because you know, at Disney, they're all part of this. You know, it's a small world, you know, assembly line bullshit that just does not fly anymore. I, oh, I hate that. Uh, kind of feel bad about calling her character a whore now, knowing about that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you should feel bad. Oh, not I feel a little bad. Not that bad. Uh, Joey Kern plays Jeff the Dick. Kern has also appeared in such films as Super Troopers, The Goods, Live Hard, Sell Hard, and the TNT series Good Behavior. And his story is so fucking funny. He just vanishes halfway through the movie, comes out and is like, I made it. And then gets gunned down by the cops. I laughed so hard when that happened. <laughs> so, so much great lead up with the music. I made it. I'm alive. And the fucking redneck cops just take him down. But just to have, like, to, for that, I hated his whole, like, mentality. Like, he goes and sees the bodies of his friends and is like, I made it. Not, I lost everyone I care about, but I'm alive. I did it. Like, oh. what a fuck. All because he technically won the challenge. He only drank beer the whole time. I love it while, like, in the midst of horrible shit, they point out, like, like what was his name? Bert? Yeah, Bert, you lost. <laughs> he's just like, oh, he's deflated. <laughs> oh, 
yeah, it's, this movie's ridiculous. Uh, Cabin Fever has an IMDb score of 5.7, Rotten Tomato score of 62%, an audience score of 44%, just like to point that out. It was a decent success, grossing $30 million on a $1.5 million budget, spawned two sequels and a very despised remake. Even though it has 44%, people so clearly like it because they're still mining it for all it's worth. Well, they were. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, well, the, the remake kind of put that nail in the coffin. Been a minute since we got some cabin fever. <laughs> they did a oh advised remake and then that kind of ruined it. Did these people not see 1998 Psycho? Do they not know it's a terrible idea to do a shot for shot remake of anything? Like, nope. nope, they did not. So, some highlights from Cabin Fever. Uh, I think it opens with a pretty dark tone. I think we like we get a tone setter pretty quick with the dog that's just like completely ripped open. Like that was vicious and gross and uncomfortable and sticky. Yeah. Well, and that again, that dude, the gore in this movie, like the practical effects are amazing. And yeah, you see that that opening dog when it's like, oh, what the fuck. No explanation of what's going on, just a dead dog. I like the, also when they do like this, they show that and then they immediately cut to them at school being like, don't go to fucking school. Huh? Finals over. It's like real dark moment for a real happy moment. See, in my experience, and I don't know if maybe this is just because I went to a good school or I hang around with a decent crowd, but typically people in my experience who are at college got in because they want to be there. They want to go to college, get a job. Everyone in a movie who goes to college is a complete fucking idiot. <laughs> like, how does that happen? Not one person in your movie is going to be like, you know, I'm studying to be a doctor, but I'm also, you know, short on friends. Everyone's just a complete numbness. I refuse to believe Bert got in there at all. He's their townie friend. They just dragged along here. Well, I mean, look, come on. Look at like half the 80s college comedies. There's always that one person like Bert that you're like, how did they get into the school? I know. I just would like some goddamn Ogre. realism for once. Ogre and Revenge of the Nerds, for God's sakes. Well, he got like, wasn't he there on a football scholarship? Like, that makes sense. It does. But at the same time, he's pretty goddamn stupid. That movie. You, can fill, you can fill the scholarship. <laughs> Revenge of the Nerds was a was an interesting watch. I watched that for the first time this past year and it is it's a rough it's the most rapey film I've ever seen. You're talking about the scene when he uh, sneaks to go into that one space? Actually, yeah. Like her uh, and is like straight up rapes her and then she's like, but he was so good, I guess I'll date him now. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> you could do whatever you want in the 80s, man. You really could. It's weird. Like, anything goes. Got your, you know, your Asian and your black caricatures. You've got your rape. You've got your nerds. It's like it's all just whatever you want. Everyone knew we can do it. And now it's like, nope. I think that's better, though. I feel like we don't need that negativity constantly in our lives. No, there's nothing wrong with it. We need more Bert and his literal fuck you hat. God, it reminded me of a George Carlin bit about a dude who was passed out on a plane with like drinking nine bottles of Kahlua, Kahlua and he's got a fuck you hat. There's a whole thing. But just, of course, a little on the nose, but whatever. <laughs> uh, the uh, 
the scene at the shop is particularly strange. Um, I guess it's a setup that these are, you know, yokel redneck assholes. Well, to me, like kind of watching this time, I felt like he was purposely making a character, a caricature out of these small town people to show how they are viewing them. Because how many times has a city person viewed small town people as the simple-minded weirdo backwoods cousin fucking people? Every time. Every time. So wouldn't would it all these how these people actually act or how they're just in their head they view them? I don't know, but that takes me back to Tucker and Dale versus evil. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> but, huh? One of my like, favorite I love that movie so much. I love they 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 confirmed a sequel like years ago. Still have yet to get it. <laughs> I think that's good though. I think we don't need a sequel. I like that that's just its own thing. Yeah, but if that was the case, then don't announce it. I'm okay if it's one movie. Just don't don't tell me there's a sequel and get my like hopes up. Like, <gasps> just for it to never happen. Alan Tudyk sawing into a beehive and chasing the kids through the woods with the chainsaw, not realizing what he's doing. Oh my god, that movie brilliant! It's crazy out there. The kids are just killing each other. We have had a doozy of a day. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> We're gonna do that someday, and it's gonna be great. It was so good, but because, uh, like, for example, you know, there's the whole like the scene when they go in, and then the shopkeeper says the N word, and you think, oh, okay, well, even I kind of felt because I forgot the whole ending part. So even I was like, oh yeah, shopkeeper's racist, okay. But then it kind of pays off, depending on how you view it. I'm not. Don't quote me on this, fans. Don't come at me. Uh, at the end, when it turns out he's actually really cool with them, and that was legitimately like he was shining their gun, like he was taking care of their gun. Yeah, but if you are, I don't care what your situation is, you're a white dude, you have a pending order for a black customer, you don't just say, like, oh, I'm saving that for my N-words. Like, who the fuck says that in any situation? I know. Well, a small town old guy actually probably would. Let's just be honest. Let's let's be honest. We grew up in the same small town. No, we didn't. I grew up in well, Cascade, Maryland. <laughs> you moved to the same small town that I grew up in, so you know enough <laughs> to know that an old white guy in a small town is going to say that. I agree 100%. Happened to my uncle. So, yeah, it's that small town. My not, I have, I have a black uncle. Oh, I was like, what? I have I was- three uncles, Caleb. <laughs> You had a black one. I'm sorry. <laughs> My God. Okay. Look of confusion on your face. <laughs> that I was, was like, great. I would someone say that to Sean? Like, Jesus. My Uncle John <laughs> is black, and some asshole at Home Depot back in Maryland said something to him. Okay. So, but that's, and that, that's why to me, like, it doesn't bug me with the, the, um, that scene. Because to me, I, I view it more as like this is how they're seeing them as these strange people that don't really like them because they're the uppity city boys, you know? Yeah, but they're not in the final scene. Who's on the final scene? The like they're um, all dead. So who's, oh, yeah. who are you like who's viewing them in that last bit? 
I don't know. At that point, look, we've gone. Look, at that point, I saw a guy in a bunny suit in the hospital room. I don't know what's going on anymore. Yeah, I don't really know what that was. This movie's so weird, and I don't remember it being weird. I feel like back in the day, I think you were like when we watched it. I think you were so excited about it, and I didn't want to disappoint you, so I said like, "Yeah, that was good." I think that's what happened. Why would you do that to me? Because you were my best friend, and I didn't want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> Whereas now I'm like, "Fuck it." But back then, <laughs> how many movies did I show you that I was excited about that you lied to me? There's a few. <laughs> There's a few. A lot of Eli Roth. I'm not gonna lie. Sorry. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so Bert, I want to talk about Bert and his BB gun, which is okay. not a fucking BB gun. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about Bernard's BB gun. That was a rifle. I'm, I, I don't feel bad at all. No. <laughs> I. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> wow. This. Wow. You were so excited about something. I've done it to Austin too. <laughs> I do it to all my friends. If they show me something they're super psyched about and I don't dig it, I lie and just try to match their enthusiasm. It's, 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 it's just being nice. Never trust you with a movie again. I'm sure you guys have done it to me. No, you have. I'm sure. Whatever. <laughs> I don't. I have nothing to apologize for. This movie's weird. <laughs> now I feel bad. <laughs> God damn it, Caleb. <laughs> Your silence speaks volumes. Damn it. Ah. <laughs> uh. Oh, with that said, let's talk about Bird and the BB gun. Ah, oh, fine. <laughs> so that's clearly not a BB gun. That is a rifle. The noises are not BBs. That is, those are bullets. Like, what do you yeah. think? Yeah, you know, I don't know if it's because of budget or what's going on there, but that was not BB gun. I, I've played with BB guns. I've played with paintball guns. They don't sound like that. <laughs> Well, if it was budget, isn't it cheaper to get a hold of a BB gun than a real gun? <laughs> mm, that's a good point. And also cheaper to just make no noise than to buy a gun noise. Well, would you watch a movie where if they shot a gun and made no noise? You it's would a think BB gun, yeah. You would think there's something wrong with the movie. No, I'd think that's probably a BB gun. And then when the real guns show up later, I'll know, oh, that's a real gun. Because I've heard the difference in noise and I, I know what they mean. Well, wait, did it have an orange tip? I don't know. I don't think so. I was wondering if that was a BB gun then. Maybe he was just drunk off his ass and being like, it's just a BB gun. And then, you know. But he did shoot that homeless dude and the guy just walked away. Yeah, there isn't. Well, maybe because, like, he, what was he killed? A squirrel or whatever? I. I don't remember. I know he was hunting and he tried to, he was, he, he shot the hobo and the guy was like, why'd you shoot me? I don't remember what he was trying to shoot. I don't know well, why I'm focusing it, on this so much. It could have just been a confusion in the moment. I mean, you're out there, you see a guy that looks like that, you accidentally hit him with the gun and then he's questioning you immediately. Bert's not the brightest bulb in the bunch. No, no he's not. Um, Eli Roth's weird cameos as the happy bald guy and then Grimm with, with his dog, Dr. Mambo. 
I like both cameos. The bald guy makes sense, but Grim just disappears and then like is found half dead, half eaten in a cave later on. Yeah, it's perfect. He was cracking me up in his scene. <laughs> and then Doctor Mambo turns into a fucking crazy dog and tries to eat everybody. But like, is that a symptom of this virus? Like, is it making everybody a little crazy? No, just a dog. I think it's making everybody crazy because they all turn on each other really fast. I think that was more of cabin fever, not to like quote the title, and <laughs> and paranoia than anything. I think that was more of like his them breaking. I mean, you saw it with the pandemic, how people were acting at the beginning, because apparently toilet paper was the most needed supply when this all started. So it would reason that a fashioning virus that no one knows what the hell's going on, that they're probably just their nerves are getting the best of them. Yeah, but then why does the dog lose his fucking mind? Well, because animals are different from humans. That's all I got. We're animals too. We're not aliens that ended up on this planet. We're all part of the same. We're human. My God. Um, I think, I think that the virus infected all of them immediately and was gradual, but I think it needled into their heads. I think a part of this virus is it increases paranoia and makes you a little, you know, crazy. Well, when they drink the, when they drink the waters, when they got the virus. It, it could. I, I want to say, honestly, in the second movie, it, like I think they explained that. that it, it played with your mind, but again, I didn't. So can you, like, movie. can the virus be transferred between people, or do they have to, like, touch the water? Uh, it has to be... It can't just transfer between people. It has to be the water. So I think if it is, like, transferring people, like, you probably have to, like, for some reason, swallow a body part, or some kind of saliva type thing. That's like enter you. It's like a venom instead of a poison. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm lost. Um, yeah. That's why he kept showing the water. Like, to I was like, that's why that one guy never got it because he literally just drank beer the whole time. <laughs> that makes sense. So, Paul, did he get it when he was finger banging Karen in his in her sleep? Which we are no, definitely going to talk it about when he. We'll get to that because I like like and hate that scene for two different reasons. Um, no, he got it when he went to go inspect that body, and then oh, fell. and his dumbass fell in the fucking yeah. wet river. Yeah, that's when he got it. Idiot. <laughs> I wonder is he thinking like that can't be the same homeless I, man that we lit on fire, can it? <laughs> look, man, did you ever did you ever swim in the river? In uh, Blanco, God no. Why do you say it like that? I don't like. I don't swim in rivers. Okay, well, I did with everyone else in the town, <laughs> and that was probably more slippery than what they showed in the movie. I never once just fell over. Well, he was like on a rickety little ladder. Yeah, because he leaned over like an idiot. He didn't bother check the ladder. <laughs> Well, uh, I think he, he had it coming. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, that, that finger bit. Ah, so I don't like it because it's the weirdest thing to do. Like, 
So you assume that because you're in the bed with her, you can finger bang her while she's asleep. But it does lead to the really cool moment when he takes his hand out and loves like the blood. And then you see like uh, the skin, the virus on her leg. And I, I think that part from there is really cool. And actually it's a really intense scene when she's like yelling and they're freaking out. To me, it's actually one of the more intense scenes in the entire movie. Yeah, and it leads to like them locking her in the fucking shed and Bert just being like, get away from me, bitch! Like freaking the fuck out. Like, Bert ran in there like three times to be like, get away from me. I'm like, she's not leaving the bed, Bert. Just close the door. You're, you're freaking out more. She, she closed the door. <laughs> I think that, you know, the, when they light the hobo on fire, I think they all have it coming. Because that is such a weird, just like, get away from me moment where they just light this dude's ass up and then just go back to packing. Like, just like they're just like, well, we feel bad. Like, no shit, you feel bad. You just lit a dude on fire. And did not bother to check if he was a life star or not. <laughs> they actually say the quote, I think the rain will put him out. <laughs> These guys are sociopaths. It's not how rain works. <laughs> I think the best advice from this movie is never drink tap water. Get a Brita. Filter that shit and you won't get cabin fever. Maybe that's why I like Dr. Pepper so much. Yeah. I mean, at the end, you know, a bottled water truck gets their water from this creek and fucking rotted hobo flashes in that water. And I think that's part two is this like this, the spring water. Uh, you would think. I think it was. I know part two went in a direction that I didn't really like that the first one established it should have gone in. Okay. I have a question for you, and I'd like, I, I feel like you'd be the guy to answer this. Why are teenagers in horror movies always such unforgivable assholes? Like, just the worst <laughs> human beings. I think, because honestly, like the whole if you pay attention, like the whole teenage stereotype thing became a lot more prevalent in the eighties. Like I know, like obviously you had um, Chainsaw Massacre, but I didn't really hate the teenagers in that movie too much. Minus Franklin, dear God, Franklin. Um, and in Halloween, there are actually pretty likable, you know, leads. So it wasn't really until the eighties that yeah. happened. It, it it seemed to become like this weird standard to just have these other type of people in the friends group. And this is how they're going to be. And I think it a lot has to do with the fact that you want to make them because at the end they people they latched on to I'm not here to see these teenagers coming of age story at you know Camp Crystal Lake or on Elm Street or a Cabin in the Woods. Not here for that. I'm here to see the, the boogeyman come out and just slaughter. So I think to an extent they don't want to make them super likable. It's like they try to find a balance between like likable. And do so you like are both like kind of feel bad when they die, but not completely. You're on board when it happens. I feel like you get more invested if you like these people and then they die. Like you, you, you feel for it. Like, like those are the best horror movies to me is where you like the cast and then they get killed and you're like, fuck, I don't like that. Like you're rooting for them to succeed in cabin fever. I'm like, let this thing eat these people. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I, uh, I mean, come on. You got get some classic film douchebags like trent in friday 13th remake you still remember him that's not a classic. i do the remake's not a classic look 
if we can get a, a remake, I shouldn't be telling Fever, you that. If we can get a remake to Cabin Fever in less than twenty years, apparently the term classic means fucking nothing anymore. I don't consider Cabin Fever a classic either. Okay. Uh, <laughs> struck a nerve. My bad. Just keep attacking Cabin Fever. Uh, <laughs> I to me a classic has to be good. Um, wow, so, this is good. <laughs> so Marcy and Paul decide to fuck in the middle of this weird little contained pandemic. Uh, rather sloppily, I might add. And then afterwards, Paul pours Listerine on his dick. To this day. I don't know why. Okay, I, have, I was wondering, like, is that a thing I just don't know about? Or I like, personally have never done that. Is that his way of like cleaning up? <laughs> I I've personally never done that after sex. I shower and I'll go to bed after. Like everyone else. I don't I don't know why he does that. Um I did like when she's like, Oh, you did a number on my back. Some are thinking like, oh, it's not because of him. And then you get the really cool leg shave scene, which I still love to this day when she's like shaving in the bath and like you just see the skin coming off. Oh. Yeah, that's grisly. I'll, I'll give you that. That that scene is is vicious. I don't that noise. I don't like that noise. The slicing. Ugh. Jesus. Yeah, it's oh, it's gnarly. I fucking I love that scene. Does she not like she acted she acted surprised? Like, how did she not feel that? Well, if you if she expressed, but then you kind of see her crying, like, like she's really depressed. She got it, and she doesn't know what to do anymore. Well, I know that, like, when you get a virus, like, a, like a skin condition, you are not supposed to take a bath. <laughs> Much less probably shave your legs. Well, that shit's gonna like the bath will get it all over you. Like that's you know I saw Creep Show. I know how that shit works. <laughs> so, mm-mm. no, I don't know. I think you yeah, got like. To me, they don't respond too out of the ordinary that I think anyone else would respond when there's something that you don't know what the hell's going on happening. They could have just left. Uh, the truck was busted, and then Bert had his freakout moment. Leave Bert. Fuck Bert. Walk. <laughs> and apparently, you know, deputy party man was supposed to get them help. That dick. That whole bit made was so weird. It's like you it like to party. Like, it makes me laugh so much when she comes up. Everything all right? Everything's all right, man. You get back in there and party. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, so I want to talk about what has kind of become the most infamous scene from this movie: uh, pancakes and the karate. Mm. <laughs> pancakes. What in the fuck? I I know why it's in there. It's in my film guys and facts, but I just want to talk about first reactions because I remember when we watched that back in the day, I was already kind of like, what is this? And then that happened. I'm like, what? Why? It's just, it's so weird and unnecessary. And this kid it's, bites Bert. It's <laughs> completely necessary. I need that scene in this movie. Pancakes. Yes. <laughs> Whatever. I, I honestly have no clue what to say about that. It's so just strange. I, I love how out of left field it is. I remember watching the first time going, what is happening? And as soon as I was like, I like it. Give me more. 
And I love when he's like his uncle, dad, whatever comes out. He's like, now see, at first it was a you problem, but now my boy bit you. <laughs> so now it's my problem. This asshole was just waiting for an excuse to kill these people. Yeah. Like they cut up to Bert fast too. Get the gun. <laughs> uh Later on, uh, Dr. Mambo just straight up eats Marcy. Like yeah, That was an awesome scene. That was fucking... Her foot's in the fucking yard. Like, where did the rest of her go? Like, that dog just fucking ate the whole body. <laughs> yeah. But that's what I like. Is that you actually don't even see the dog eat her. Because it does the red screen and cuts a different scene. But then you see Paul come back in his face. And then it kind of just zooms out enough where all you see is a foot and blood. And you're like, what the fuck jesus christ pretty unceremonious and then paul finds karen in the uh in the shed the dog's eating her eating her guts and her face like fuck it's the thumbnail for this video if you're watching on youtube and it's just it's frightening it's freakish just her skin is gone her teeth are huge it's i can't believe she's still alive it really kind of to me that's when you kind of See just how terrible what this virus is. Like she's still alive and looks like that, and it's fucking haunting. And Paul does the merciful thing and very painfully beats her to death with a shovel. <laughs> like you've loved this girl for years. You couldn't have like done anything else to make her passing a little bit, you know, quicker. <laughs> when a horror movie character is facing death, and someone wants to give them mercy. They never do it quick. Look at the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Guy's hanging on a meat hook. Begs Jessica Bill to end him his fucking mercy. She stabs him, like, in the gut. I think she had to do it, like, another two or three times or keep it in there because he didn't die immediately. I'm like, why would you do that? <laughs> He's yeah. in pain. It's Yeah, it's fucked up. And, I mean... That probably hurt. I doubt he got her on the first even three whacks. <laughs> I bet that took a while. <laughs> no, he does not. Not look like a strong man. Probably took a while there. And he really doesn't seem that broken up about it. Like, he got laid. That's what he wanted. So he doesn't care anymore. I think at that point, he was just trying to figure out how the hell to get out of the situation. Weird. I don't think I, I wouldn't really linger too much after that. I'd be like, all right, what do I need to do to get out of this? He could have just they just don't want to walk. They literally could just walk out of this. There's no gate. Mm-hmm. Like the trail is, is not blocked by, you know, wreckage or anything. They could just walk away. It's not that simple. I think it is. No, see that car is exercise, which I don't like. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. I knew there was a reasonable explanation. <laughs> Fucking assholes. I love that Bert gets a one-liner and doesn't even get to kill anybody. He just gets shot immediately by the rednecks. He's like, what's up, motherfucker, or something, and then immediately gets shot in the head. Like, <laughs> I thought I was laughing my ass off. That was great. <laughs> but send one of Cinema's most powerful shotgun blasts. Damn, yeah. <laughs> and then Paul turns into a fucking ninja and just takes them all out. Like, where did that come from? Hey, dude, to this day, when he stabs a dude in the screwdriver with the air, it actually still kind of hurts me. Yeah, I don't know yeah. why when I see them, I'm like, oh, ow. Yeah, that was freaky. But the fact that, like, he stabbed the other guy and then that dude shot 
the other guy and it's just like this domino effect like what the hell is this movie look man he may be following this movie but he'll forever be sean from boy meets world (laughs) sean can do whatever he wants except maintain a successful career well wow but yes (laughs) you're listening to this writer strong i'm not sorry uh jeff gets shot to death and i don't know about you but did that feel like a nod to night of the living dead for you yeah i was actually thinking when i watched it um and like i i wouldn't be surprised if it was roth i know put stuff from what he likes in his movies um you know he had a with jero diodato in hostile part two yet to takashi miki in hostile one so you know he yeah he 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 does like to make his references and show his love so i wouldn't be surprised if that was an homage to night living dead yeah what a bleak ending that's a great movie we've yet to i think romero has only been touched a couple times i think we did the dark half uh i did creep show on my own a while back we have not touched the uh the, the his zombie movies yet haven't gone there the dead movies huh. i've not gone there yet uh, i was kind of and this is just again a me problem most of this is me problems honestly uh i want to know where this virus came from it kind of just popped up with this homeless dude but like where did he get it see i don't that doesn't bother me because what horror films the more you explain the less scary it is I think Patient Zero was the movie that tried to explain this virus. But at that point, no one gave a shit. <laughs> um, and I don't know. For me, it's more scary. And again, just because of the time we're watching this movie with what's going on, you know, real world. It's yeah. to me more terrifying that we don't know. That we don't know why this is happening, how this virus came to be. All you know is that there is this virus out there. It's in the water system. And so if you drink the water, you're going to get it. And there's how do you stop it? And to me, that was insanely like that was the terrifying aspect of the movie. Yeah, I agree. And you know, it's implied at the end of this that this virus is gonna fuck up the whole country. Anyone who drinks this bottled water, which is a frightening idea that a you know virus could get into a bottled water plant and you know ravage the country. That's that's frightening. Yeah, and all because Deputy Party Man didn't want to properly dispose of the body. It was literally his fault. Could have done without the like weird small town cover up. I feel like that just raises more questions. But I, I liked it because it kind of digs into like that small town mentality of like, we're going to handle our own business because they don't want to do it properly. They're like, no, we'll take care of it. We'll, we'll keep us on the hush hush because no one's going to question what happens out here. Yeah. But you know, sure enough, you'll trust your idiotic deputy to take care of that one guy. He dumps him in the stream that goes to the water that's not getting distributed out into the country. Thems it breaks. Even though the sequel doesn't fucking go nationwide, but whatever. And then we end with the shopkeep giving this rifle to his uh, his black friends. And I... <laughs> It's so unnecessary. But I thought it was funny. I it, it was laughing. Laugh. My God. So here are some film guys and facts for Cabin Fever. Number one, 
While filming a particularly bloody scene, Ryder Strong decided to go for a walk in the woods between setups. Covered head to toe in blood, he happened upon a group of 35 schoolgirls who were on a field trip. The girls screamed at the sight of this blood-drenched hiker and then screamed even louder when they realized the hiker was the star of Boy Meets World. <laughs> the girls chased Ryder through the woods. He eventually made it back to the film crew and vowed never to wander off between scenes again. <laughs> that is... That's hilarious. I take back what I said about you, Ryder Strong. Good, good job. <laughs> First, they were scared. They're like, oh, my God, it's Sean. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Can you imagine your schoolgirl in 2002? You're walking through the woods on a field trip. This bloody hiker comes out of nowhere, looks like he's going to kill you, and then turns out to be the star of your favorite show. <laughs> what a day. <laughs> I'd freak out. <laughs> I'm a grown uh, man. I'd freak out. <laughs> <laughs> you probably would have like, probably would have caught him too. Oh uh, yeah, run faster than them. I would have been ahead of that group. I've been like, get out of my way, pushing school goals, freaking to the side. Oh, that's that's weird. We're that getting her, we're getting Sean today, goes. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, Peter Jackson stopped production on the Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King three times to screen this movie for the entire crew. Jackson was so enthusiastic about the film, he gave director Eli Roth publicity quotes. That's I have awesome. it. Are you, are you ready? Yeah. This is on the cover of my Blu-ray. An unrelenting, gruesomely funny blood bath. Blood I loved it. Peter Jackson, director of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I always forget, you know, Peter Jackson made this monumental fantasy drama epic that changed the way we view film. And I always forget he's a fucking gorehound. <laughs> always forget that he's the guy who made Dead Alive and just loves grisly horror. He's never gone back to it. <laughs> he hasn't. I wonder why. Like, you'd think with this, you know, newfound clout and, like, budgets that he can get a hold of, you'd think he'd want to make, like, horror movies, you know, again. You'd think he'd want to do that. But after, like, King Kong, there wasn't much. No, he went back to uh, Middle Earth and gave us The Hobbit. And then he did that Mortal Engines movie that nobody saw. Yeah. I tried to watch it. Number three, I always thought this was freaky. Director Eli Roth originally got the idea for this movie while working in Iceland on a horse farm. He got such a bad skin infection from the rotting hay in the barn that his face broke out in sores, bled, and peeled off when he shaved. Yeah. He, uh, he talked about that on the Joe Bob. I mean, he even he further elaborated. So they even went to the hospital where the doctor was like, I don't know what you got. And That's he was like, fucking frightening. And he was like, there's nothing more horrifying than being in a foreign country with a disease that the doctor doesn't know that you have or doesn't know what it is. What did he do? Did he get to like, did he see a specialist or like what happened? He said they were like, hey, the best we can do is go home and rest and hope. It happened. So they went, he went back, to the, you know, his parents went back to the cabin and he just stayed there and said it went away after I think like a couple of days. Oh but he God. was like freaking out. That's horrifying. Oh, I don't like that. Uh, well, clearly he got better. But the fact that there's this like flesh eating virus out there that a doctor couldn't diagnose, that that's not cool. I don't like that. Um, number four. The pancake scene was made up during filming after Eli Roth saw Matthew Helms practicing Taekwondo during a break. 
He discovered that Helms was a real-life black belt, so he decided to add the scene to give a chance for Helms to show what he could do. So it was Eli Roth giving a kid a chance to show off on camera. I'm goddamn proud because I love that scene. That explains the Taekwondo. It doesn't explain fucking pancakes. (laughs) He wanted pancakes. And number five, I, I can't believe I didn't actually think about this, but none of the main characters actually die from the disease. Yeah, they all like never really kill each other or get killed by something else. Which makes me think, what if it did just go away after a few days? <laughs> what if this isn't that deadly and they just freak the fuck out? I, I would go with you there until you see the chick in the shed and like most of her face is gone by the disease. That's true. I don't know how you recruit from that one. Congrats. Lots of have you, have you seen rabid? Well, to be fair, she didn't die from the disease. It just got worse. Maybe because she was, you know, itching or something. Maybe it's like poison ivy, like very, very bad poison ivy. I don't, I don't think that's how it works. I, I just well, Paul makes it. I think. Oh, because he was in the sequel? Yeah. He was in the first, like, five minutes. It, no. Was he alive? He gets run over by a bus. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No. Why is he there? He walks to a road from the stream, and a bus runs him over. So, Officer Dickhead killed him. Or tried to kill him. Or he dumped him near the stream to take care of him. And then, like, he wake like, in the sequel, he wakes up. Okay. Almost out of the woods, and a school bus fucking just rams in him. <laughs> Why would Ryder Strong come back for that? Well, what else has he done? Oh, yeah. Good point. <laughs> Beer money is the answer to that. Well, damn. All right. Let's talk about the sequels. The first sequel was 2009's Cabin Fever 2 Spring Fever. A high school prom is afflicted by a flesh-eating virus that is spread through a popular bottled water brand. Ryder Strong and Giuseppe Andrews, who plays the the cop, reprise their roles briefly. (laughs) And you said this was shit? Yeah, it... You know, the first movie, you know, you have that really great stinger of like, oh, okay, this is going to be like, it's probably like nationwide. So you think they're going to do a sequel, they go even bigger. And yeah, they do with the school, but it's like, you still kept it contained. It was a high school. Um, there was a lot of issues with that movie in the sense that the studio wanted it made and was like demanding, like, hey, let's get this made. And Eli Ross was like, I, what it actually was down to do a second Cabin Fever, but he was like, look, I really want to do Hostel. And they're like, well, you can only do one. And he goes, well, I'm doing Hostel. And so then they, he went to go do that. And then the studio, um, took over Cabin Fever 2, did a lot of shady shit that uh, I think, if I recall correctly, Adam Green was at one point writing it, but some shady shit was happening. So you were trying to create conflict between him and, and Roth, and then Ty Rest came on to direct, but then again, the studio interfered more, and he said, fuck this, and did everything as part of his name off the movie. Like, it... it 
nothing in that movie it's a definition of like you had people attached that really wanted to make a legitimate sequel to cabin fever and the studio kept coming in and fucking it up that sucks like oh it did take them like six years to like to even show interest or seven years and i don't know that's that's so weird you think how do studios always do this like how do they always not realize they're the problem I, I don't know. And it, it blows my mind that they even said, like, he does this movie. It becomes, a, it becomes a hit. And they're like, well, you can only do one of those. I was like, why don't you just be like, hey, yeah, do both. We'll give you whatever time you need. Because Hostel became a hit enough to make a second movie and continue his career. So it's like you would think they'd be willing to work with him on whatever he wants to do with a sequel. And then you get someone like Adam Green attached who proved successful with Hatchet. And it's like you're fucking him over. And then you got Ty West, who had horror, you know, indie horror hits before that. And it's like, what are you guys doing? You're getting names, like you're getting good names attached. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's ridiculous. And then they, I guess they move forward with 2014's Cabin Fever 3, Patient Zero, which is a prequel. A group of friends on a Caribbean cruise stumble onto a research island where a flesh-eating virus is released, and the film actually stars Sean Astin. <laughs> oh, oh my god which is weird because he actually doesn't need to do it he gets steady work <laughs> i know it's it's strange uh so that's uh those are the cabin fever sequels uh not exactly the, the best franchise and um then we have the 2016 cabin fever remake it's the same story as the first film same exact script shot for shot remake it was panned by fans and critics alike. There's no reason this needs to exist. But Eli Roth apparently said he was happy with it. Yeah, I, I saw that quote, but I also haven't really seen him talk about it that much since then. So I don't know if that was like, I kind of wonder if this is like a James Cameron thing. He's just getting paid to say. Probably. Yep. Probably. I, it's really hard for me to say that he liked a shot for shot remake of his own movie. But I mean, you know, so he might just be trying to be supportive of the filmmaker. And that could be what it is. He knows the filmmaker, probably good friends with him. The guy wanted to make a good movie. And but it's like if you it's like if you made a very successful horror movie and I wanted to get on the business. And so I just remade your movie, like without adding anything of my own, and just put a new cast, use the same script. I feel like you'd be kind of pissed. A little bit. Yeah, it's just... I, wanted, I don't know. I want to say I, Adam Grimson was actually talking about the remake, and it may have also been Studio Meddling that fucked up that remake. I'm not surprised, considering what they did in the past. Uh, so I gave Cabin Fever a 7. I know I've talked a lot of shit. It's not a great film. While the horror parts are great, the rest of it's pretty bad and terribly dated with its use of slurs and depiction of mental illness but it's just entertaining enough for me to one day go back for more. So, a seven. You win. Yes. I stand by my eight. I'm not... I personally am not going to take points off because of its dialogue. I know the dialogue makes it dated, but again, if you do that for this movie, then what do you draw a line on other films that are even older and say things that are not okay at all now? Yeah. Um, so me, I've done that many times. Yeah, so for me, I'm not going to knock points off it because, look, when he came out, that sh- that show was okay. I'm not saying it's right to say. Don't, I'm not saying it's right. 
it was okay to say back then. And I'm not going to knock it for them putting in a script things that were okay to say. Obviously, we don't, we don't do it now. But um, other than that, you know, obviously, I guess, yeah, you know, dated dialogue and that part. Uh, I like it. I think it's a really strong debut for what we would eventually get out of Eli Roth. Um, I love the practical effects, love the gore. And I, I, I like this movie. I, yeah, I'm more, I'm personally really love his, his two house movies, but I do like Cabin Fever a lot. Cool. That's, you know, good, good on you. You've got a, a guy to follow here. I personally, you know, my, my favorite, my favorite thing Eagle Ever Off has done is Donnie Donowitz in Glorious Bastards. So, like to me, oh, no, I, love, I love him as Donnie Donowitz. Like I'm taking the Bear Jew over all of this. <laughs> I'm, I won't argue that. Look, man, I remember when I went to go see that movie. I actually did not know he was in the movie, and I saw it. And I was like, "Holy shit, that's Eli Roth!" And I got so happy in the theater. I was like, oh, "It's Eli Roth." <laughs> it's. You know that was supposed to be Adam Sandler. Yes. Can you imagine? I, I think I think he could have pulled it off. I just think. I was, like, I was like, after seeing Uncut Gems and seeing what Tarantino's been able to do with the, his actors, like I think he actually would have been fine in the role. Yeah, but Eli Roth really excels in that role. I think he, he's having a lot of fun. Oh yeah. Oh, when he comes out and he bashes that dude's head, in, he's like, "Knocked it out of the park." <laughs> Two hits. I hit you. You hit the ground. <laughs> like fuck. <laughs> It's, it's awesome because they're Nazis, so we can watch them die with glee. <laughs> and um, it's funny when I saw *Inglorious Bastards*, like I, Brad Pitt was the only guy in that film I knew. I never heard of anybody else, and I was still figuring shit out. And because of that movie, like I got introduced to a whole bunch of names I later could check out. And that was great. Yeah, I actually honestly think other than Brad Pitt, Eli Roth was the only other one I knew. Like that was like my intro to Michael Fassbender. It was everyone's intro to Christoph Waltz, Melanie Laurent, uh, August Deal. Uh, it was actually a lot of people's intro to Fassbender as well because he didn't really hit like I would say hit mainstream like attention to what X Men. X I think X X Men the uh, the thing that got him like really big uh, Hollywood attention. Mm. I, I love him as Magneto, but Bastards he's so good in because he's just in over his head and. Oh, yeah, he gets caught because he does. Yeah, he does three wrong. That's yeah, he gets caught. Yeah, but my like my family all grew up in Germany, so they recognize that immediately. I'm like, what do you do? <laughs> that's great. Oh, I love that movie. So that's all for this week, and next week is going to be extra special awesome. So Josh and I are partnering up with Ibon Press, an independent horror comics company that specializes in adapting Lucio Fulci's films as comics and graphic novels. They've done City of the Living Dead, The House by the Cemetery, Zombie, and most importantly, The Beyond. Executive publisher Sean Lewis enjoyed our recent episode on Fulci's The Beyond, so Josh and I are revisiting The Beyond and doing a comparison episode between the film and Ibon Press's comic adaptation. It's going to be a blast, and it gives me an excuse to spend a week watching Fulci movies. Uh, this is an incredible honor, and I'm very excited to be a part of this. Also, be sure to check out the recent Oscar winner Another Round on Oscar Sunday and the new Mortal Kombat on Monday's sneak preview. Be sure to tune in Friday for the Giggle Guys as well. In the meantime, don't ever spend a week at a cabin in the woods and don't light any sick homeless people on fire.
keep watching movies. 